Discontentment, discontentment is all around us. You can't go anywhere and not see discontentment in our world that we live in. Everywhere you look, billboards, TV, social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, discontentment is everywhere we look. And as you know, advertising, their job is designed to make us feel discontent. Because they always want you to buy something else, buy something better. This product this year is better than last year. Always something the advertisers want more and more to be more discontent. No matter where we look, no matter where we go, again, discontentment is all around us. Today we're going to look at discontentment, which is what not, what contentment is not. But we're going to look and see what contentment is and how we can pursue contentment. That's what we're going to do today. Let's first look at discontentment. Let's see what the Bible tells us about discontentment. We see in the Old Testament the story of Joseph and his brothers. His brothers hated Joseph. They literally put him in a hole and sold him into slavery. But we don't think about it is that they were wicked and hated him. But they were content in their hatred toward him. They were satisfied in that. You're going to see, hear me say satisfied and contentment go hand in hand with each other. They were satisfied in what they did. They were content in their decision. They were content in their wickedness. They got exactly what they wanted and they were satisfied with it. We see the Jews in the wilderness were given so much they were rescued. They were brought out. They were given food, well taken care of. And guess what? Were they content? They were discontent people. They were given so much, but guess what? They wanted more. God had given them everything that they needed, but they still wanted more. First off, discontentment is sin. You may be saying, so how is it sin? Why is it sin? It's because this leads to and points to pride. A discontentment person says, I deserve better. How many of you said that before? I deserve better. I deserve more than you have given me, God. How many of you said that before? I'm guilty. We've all said we deserve better. This is exactly what happened to Lucifer. A great quote by Thomas Boston says, The devil is the proudest creature and the most discontent because pride and discontentment lodge under one foot. They go hand in hand together. Who are we to say, I deserve better? Second thing, discontentment is rebellion. Job 1.21 says, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said this in a time of horrendous loss. He had lost everything that he had. The discontent, rebellious person would say, The Lord gave, but he should have given me more. Or they say, The Lord has taken away and he shouldn't have done that. That's what a discontent, rebellious person says. But is that what Job said? 
Job had lost everything, and yet he was still content. Romans 9, 20 says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me this way? The clay is literally saying to the molder, You don't know what you're doing. That's what we do. We are literally saying to God, We don't know what you, we think you don't know what you're doing. We know better than you. You've done something wrong. Has God done something wrong with us? He knows exactly what he's doing with us. We often say, well, life isn't supposed to look like this. Life isn't supposed to happen this way. But it is. God's in control of that. Who are we to talk to God like that? The third thing is discontentment is a sin of unbelief. In Exodus 17, 7, it says, Is the Lord among us or not? The same Jesus we just talked about in the wilderness, is the Lord among us or not? All these things that they have given, they know he is with them, but they're saying, is he among us? Again, they were discontent people. They were redeemed people. They had been given so much, but they lost confidence that God was with them. When we are discontent, we treasure someone or something else more than God. We treasure something or something else more than God. We treasure things that were created by, guess who? The creator. The person we don't think is enough. Or he doesn't give us enough. We, the people who say God isn't enough, God doesn't know what he's doing. The same person paid the ultimate price. Paid the ultimate debt, your ultimate debt on the cross. The same person we don't think is enough. Sorry, Jesus, but you are not enough for me. I need something else. I need more. We throw the term around in church a lot that Jesus is Lord of our lives. But what does that mean? Do you know what that means? Is it he is Lord over some or majority or everything? If we believe he's the Lord over everything, then why do we say we don't have enough? We don't have what we want. He knows what he's doing. We do not think he is sufficient enough for us. Again, it goes back to our prideful and sinful hearts. That goes back to that. The fourth thing, discontentment is a gateway to other sins. Discontentment is like this. If you let it build and build, it's like a cancer. It spreads and spreads throughout your body. Discontentment, you become more and more discontent. It leads us to do things that we shouldn't do. The discontented person cheats on their spouse because they're not content in their spouse. They want something else from somebody else that's going to give them what they think they want. They don't want to work through it. They want what they want now. The discontent person leaves job after job after job because they're not contented. They don't think they, they think they deserve better. Discontentment leads to us growing more anxious and depressed. And I'm guilty of this. We become anxious and, and depressed because we feel like we're never satisfied. We're never getting what we think we want. 
We grow anxious because what we have, we feel it isn't making us happy or satisfied. That's when we grow anxious and depressed. Famous gentleman, Mr. Rockefeller, was asked one day, what do you want to make? He said, I wanted to make a million dollars. Then the person asked, well, what's next? Another million dollars. What's after that? Another million dollars. He was never content, never content with what he had. He was never satisfied. 1 John 5, 19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I love this quote. Christ has not freed believers in this world from the temptations and assaults of Satan. Even those that are freed from his dominion are not freed from his molestation. This isn't going away. Discontentment isn't going away. Discontentment tells us, and we believe this lie every day, that if you are living for Christ, if you are living for Jesus, doing the right things, then you are going to miss out on the things that this world has to offer. You're going to miss out on the great things that this so-called world that makes everyone happy, you're going to miss out on that. Again, in the world we live in, they try to compromise us as Christians in every way and tries to grow us more and more discontent. We have to realize what the world gives us is only temporary. It doesn't last. And as Christians, there should be never be, there never should be such thing as a discontent Christian. It's an utter contradiction. It, should, it doesn't go together. But does it happen? It does. We've all been discontent at some point or another in our life, in our walk in Christ. We've seen discontentment. Now let's look at contentment. First thing, contentment is about believing Jesus is enough. So our, our majority of our focus is going to be on verse 11 and 12. Let's read it. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Again, we talked about satisfied and contentment. They go hand in hand. Psalm 63, 5 says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Psalm 107, 9 says, He satisfies the longing souls and finds the hungry souls with goodness. Then we know Psalm 23, the famous psalm, I shall not want. As a Christian, we should be content. We should be satisfied in Him. We also have to see the context of Paul at this time. People thought the way you got contempt was all through you. It was self-sufficiency. It was what you did to make yourself content. It was you. It was all about you. It was independence that you brought yourself contentment. But true contentment isn't about you. It isn't about me. It isn't about ourself. It's about being content in Christ. Contentment isn't connected to our circumstances. We see Paul's contentment wasn't affected by his circumstances. It 
wasn't increased or decreased by him circumstances. It wasn't based on what he had or what he didn't have. Because he knows both. He had a lot and he had a little. He was rich and he was poor. We can have everything we ever wanted and still not be content. Or we can have nothing and still be not content. King Solomon is the perfect example of this. He had everything he could ever want, but was he content? No, he wasn't content. And again, if you were completely homeless and had nothing, that wouldn't affect you if you could be content or not. The next thing, contentment is learned. This is important. When you become a Christian, you aren't automatically content. It doesn't magically happen. It didn't magically happen for Paul either. It's something we have to learn how to be. We have to learn how to be content. You see in verse 11 and 12, if it wasn't important to learn it, why does it say Paul had to learn something twice? The the word learned was in there twice. It's important for us to actually learn to be content. Paul learned to be content as he followed the teachings of Jesus, followed that his things, of, the things of God were more important than his earthly things. He became content when he learned these things. And again, Paul learned contentment from his experiences. And man, did he have a lot of experiences. If you would turn to 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, and forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, dangerous at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, though through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me, on my anxiety for all the churches who is weak, and I am not weak, who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. So Paul went through a lot of things, had a lot of experiences. But guess what? Through those experiences, he learned how to be content in Christ. He learned that. And guess what? You're going to have to go through some things to learn to be content. If everything was great in our life, we would not be content. You have to go through some things to learn to be content. We have to go through some storms in our lives to understand that God is enough, that Jesus is enough. When money is tight, God is enough. When our relationships are in in trouble and on the rocks, God is enough. When life is chaotic, God is enough. When we are anxious and worried, God is enough. We can be content in those situations. 
That is how we learn how to be content. Again, Paul learned to be content through these events. Things he went through, the good times and the bad. If you have everything you want, you can still have trouble being content. If you have nothing, you can have trouble being content. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He uh, who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Proverbs 37 says, Riches are in give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. So it doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, whatever. We still need Jesus. Next thing, contentment comes from reliance on Jesus. Listen carefully. I'm going to tell you the secret to all contentment. This big secret. I'm going to tell you what it is. Christian contentment is based on an actual relationship with Jesus. You actually have to have a relationship with him. You have to want to have a relationship with Jesus. We see in verse 13, the the famous verse that a lot of people get completely wrong. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul isn't saying that he's going to break the prison uh, bars with his bare hands, climb out of the prison, body slam the bars, uh, the guards, and escape. That's not what he's saying because God gives me strength to do that. That's not what we're seeing here. We see the words all things translated. Uh, if we translate it out, we can put, it, put these after all. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. The key point Paul is telling us is that with Christ who gives him the strength that Paul could be empowered to go through all of these situations and be content in Christ. It's not that he can do anything he wants through the strength of God, but he can get through these experiences and be content through the power of Jesus through him. And we can do the same. The secret is Jesus is enough to make us content. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Be content with what you have. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are to be content in what we have. So we looked at discontentment, contentment. So how do we pursue contentment? There's five ways that we can pursue contentment. The first one is to pray. When we are discontent, we feel that way. And you know where that comes from? It comes from our own heart and our own desires. I think everybody in here wants to feel content, wants to be content. But it's an everyday battle with your flesh to fight it every day to be content. The world is appealing to us. It's appealing to our nature. So we need to pray and ask the Lord in our prayers on a daily basis to show us and expose where our true motivation lies. Are we going to live for Him? Are we going to be content in Him? Or are we going to be content in the world? That is what we need to pray for. The wisdom and guidance to live a contentful life. The second way to pursue contentment is to actually spend time with God. Have you guys heard the term, you are what you eat? I said this last time, I've heard it, but I never really understood it. I get it, but we're going to use the illustration. You are what you eat. So if all you ever do is is consume yourself, your time, 
your money and all these things and things that are going to make you discontent. If all you are, are going to focus on the world, TV, social media, if that's all you are going to put your effort into, what are you going to be? You're going to be discontent and you wonder why we're all like that. We are consumed with the world for some reason. If that's all we do, then that's all we're ever going to be is discontent. But if we actually focus on having a relationship with God, spending time with God, we will grow content. If we actually focus on being in His Word, we will be content. It's also important, if you're actually involved in the local church, you can grow with fellow Christians in being content. Again, we talked about they thought you need to be content by yourself. But we need to be content together as a body, together as a church. It's easier to be content when you have people who are trying to be content with you. Number three. Now, I said this first service. I didn't say this one. But this, one, this sermon was one of the most difficult because it poked and pointed right back to me. This next point is stop comparing yourselves to other people. How many of you compare yourself to other people? Is it hard to do that? Again, it's in our nature to compare ourselves to other people. We compare anything and everything. We compare houses. We compare cars. And some people actually compare their kids' accomplishments to other kids. That's what we do. We desire to have more and more and more because we don't feel content. I struggle with this the first service. I hope I don't struggle with this, uh, this one. But those of you who don't know, for 14 years I've supplied, uh, preached uh, through three churches, all kinds of different churches. I've done it for 14 years. And in my previous two churches, I had uh, about five or six of us who were all felt like we were called to ministry. And throughout the 14 years, every single one of them were called to preach somewhere. And if I'm being perfectly honest with you, that hurt my soul, honestly. It kind of made me angry. And one here recently got a job, a, lead, a pastor position somewhere that we were super close and things happened and we weren't. And I was legitimately angry. It reminds me of that line from Grumpy Your Old Man. The, the dad says, sometimes I think God forgot about me. That's me being real with you. That's how I feel. That's how I've always felt for the last 14 years. Again, comparing myself to others is what I struggle with. It's hard to be content. The world we live in doesn't want you to be content. I don't know why I struggle with that. But I know I do. But I don't have to. I can be content in Christ. And as Christians, I shouldn't be doing that. We should not be doing that. We are called to be different. We are to live life as content Christians. That's what we are called to do. We are to live in a content life because God has given us and providing us to us all that we need. 
And again, we don't live for the here and now. That's what the lost people do. We don't live for the here and the now. We live for the future. We will have so much more in the future than we do here. No matter what you have, we'll be far greater in the future. In heaven with Christ forever. The fourth, fourth thing, we must learn to accept less than what we are due. We live in a society where so many people think they have so many rights and privileges. And if you uh, violate those uh, rights and privileges, guess what? They're coming after you. They want you to pay for violating their so-called rights. So many people believe that they are owed something, that they are due something. But contentment is the opposite of that. Being content is the opposite of that. These people who think they are they're do everything are never content. That'll never happen. We see Paul went through everything. Again, we, we went over all things that Paul went through. And yet he was content. He was willing, he had, was willing to be beaten. He was willing to be uh, mistreated. He did it without bitterness. In the face of hostility, Paul didn't talk or didn't complain about his rights or his privileges or what he thought he was due. Jesus was willing to take far less than he was due. He's God. He, had every, he, could, he was due everything. But yet he took on flesh and came to this earth and took less. We are to be content. By, be, by being given less than we are due. And guess what? Being okay with it. We are going to have to be okay with having less. Again, that goes against what our society says. The fifth and final way to pursue contentment is to trust. To be content, we must actually trust in God, that God is who he says he is. And he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Matthew 6, 20 says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. He says, do not be anxious about your life. And guess what we have to do? Trust him that he is going to take care of every need in our life. Again, it's easier said than done. But he says, and we have to trust that he will take care of everything. Be anxious for nothing. Verse 5 of chapter 4 of Philippians says, The Lord is at hand, or it says, The Lord is near. We're not talking about that. He's coming back soon. But what does it mean when he says he is near? How near is he? As a Christian, he's inside of you. He lives inside of you. That's how close he is to you. That's how personal he is to you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what he says. We have to trust that. That is security. Our security is in Christ. That's something that we can be content in. Our security isn't in people, isn't in things, but is in Christ. Charles Spurgeon says, Contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. If we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. 
And even then, we must be especially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in it. Again, contentment doesn't come easy to us. It doesn't come natural to us. But guess what? We can do it. We can be content. We can be content in Christ. Contentment comes by a life of having joy in the Lord. Actual joy. Again, I say joy in Christ. We can have that. And we can also have contentment by facing life, knowing whatever comes your way, good, bad, small, big, whatever, that we can be content in all those situations. Because we trust in God, that He is sufficient and near to us. He's not distant. He's not a distant God. He is near to us. He is supplying every one of our needs. He knows exactly what every one of you need, and He's going to supply you with that. We have to answer this question. Are you going to live a life being discontent, being discontent in a world who says you've got to do this to be happy, living a life where you, wherever the world says that's what you have to do in order to be happy? Or are you going to live a life where you can be content in all things, that God has blessed you with every single thing that you've ever got? Are you going to put your trust in the world, in the world system, or are you going to put your trust in Christ? Put your trust in, in Jesus, who is the creator of all things, the author of everything that you have. And he gives us everything that we have. Every single thing that we have is given to us by God. Are we going to be content in a life that is temporary? That is going to pass away, or are we going to be content in a life that is eternal? Are we going to be content in man, or are we going to be content in Jesus? You have to answer that question. Are you going to be discontent, or are you going to be content in Christ? That's the question I'll leave you with today. Are you going to be content or discontent? 